purpose over the next several weeks is to take a look at Paul's letter to the church in Galatia and think about how his words of wisdom to that church and his criticisms of that church, how do those apply to our lives today and this um, strange new world that we find ourselves living in. Um, so if you want to go ahead and pull out your Bible, or like Dan said, if you're using version, you can um, pull up that QR code, and we'll be in Galatians chapter 2 today. Um, but before we get started, I just want to spend a moment in prayer with you all. So, Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time in worship where we can praise you. We thank you that we have an opportunity to study your word and we just come humbly before you today and ask that you would open our hearts, open our spirits to what it is you have to teach us through your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. So yeah, we're going we're gonna to get right down to it in Galatians chapter 2. We will be starting in verse 11. Um, and this is Paul confronting Peter. So real light and friendly topic today. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers follows Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. For when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a bit of a difficult topic. What do you do when you have a disagreement with a friend? You know, what do you do when a friend confronts you with the truth? And what do you do when you disagree with the actions or the choices of someone else? Stu talked a little bit last week about how we have this tendency to take one of two polarities, right? You either avoid the conflict. Some of us read this passage and think, oh gosh, no, 
I would never do ignore it and go just that's too much that's too confrontational it's too uncomfortable I would just ignore it and go my own way and then the other option is to double down on your position right I think there are quite a few of us who overly identify with this side of Paul in the story we read about Paul confronting people and we think yes that's what I'm doing, right? I'm out there on Facebook and I'm confronting these hypocrites and I am t- telling them all about their wrong thinking and I am doing the Lord's work, right? And I think you could probably tell which side I'm, I'm identifying with <laughs> in this story. But we've got, we've got this problem, right? How's that working out for us? Ignoring it or fighting confrontationally? I don't, I don't think it's going so well for our society right now if we look at the way things are. And so I think we just need to pause here and really look at what's happening between Paul and Peter and see that there's actually another way. And it's not even like a a middle-of-the-road kind of way where the two meet a compromise. This is a completely different way of approaching conflict, the gospel way that is outside of these polarities. And so there's, there's two questions that I really want us to focus on as we reflect on this passage. The first is, what did Paul do in response to his disagreement with Peter? And then how did he do it? So what did Paul do? He confronted Peter in person, right? It's the very first thing, face to face. I had to confront him to his face. He didn't talk about Peter behind his back, right? He didn't write a nasty letter to the other leaders of the church telling all about Peter's wrong-headed thinking. He didn't cut Peter out of his social circle and just stop talking to him and say, well, he doesn't agree with me, so I'm just going to do my own thing over here, right? He went to Peter in front of everyone and confronted him with his disagreement. And at first I thought maybe Paul was just being arrogant. You know, I've got to talk to him in front of everyone so everyone can see this argument. But, um, you know, we read in the first couple of verses that Peter wasn't acting in a vacuum and his choices were affecting the entire body of the church, right? He chose to distance himself from these other believers and lots of people followed him. And so Paul had to confront him publicly because he wasn't just confronting Peter's behavior, he was confronting the behavior of all the people that followed him. So it wasn't about putting on a show. It wasn't about making his point in some grand spectacle. He was saying, all of you people here, this is something that we are, that is impacting our whole church. And so he went to Peter in person and had an open, honest conversation, right? That's the key. Confrontation with a friend has to happen face-to-face. Okay, Facebook doesn't count. Texting doesn't count. Even a phone call is not really the best way to do it. You need to sit down face-to-face and have that conversation. You need to look that person in the eye. But then, okay, now, now you're face-to-face with them, right? <laughs> okay, now what? <laughs> right? Because... What are, you, what are you going to say to them? But more importantly, how are you going to say it, right? My kids sometimes say things to me, and I look at them. It's not, don't, don't talk to me that way. It's not about what you said. It's about how you said it. If you say the nicest thing in the snarkiest tone, it's, it's not nice. <laughs> um, 
And so there's, there's some choices that Paul makes in his language that, like, if you've ever done marital counseling or even had any, done any reading about, you know, how to disagree with someone, he uses a lot of the we language, not the lot of the you language, right? For, for the first two sentences, he does. He says, you have discarded, you have done this, and why are you now doing this? But then he very quickly brings himself into the conversation. You and I, we are, we are both Jews by birth, right? We know that a person is made right with God by faith. We, we, we. And then he goes even further, and he just takes Peter out of the equation altogether. And he says, I was a sinner. I am a sinner if I do this. And so this isn't a Paul versus Peter confrontation. This isn't my way is right and your way is wrong. This is the gospel way of living versus the world's way of doing things. He doesn't come to him with contempt for his, who he is or he doesn't come to shame him right? He doesn't turn Peter into the enemy to be defeated. He comes to him with the presence of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And he confronts him as a friend. And when we are in conflict or confrontation with a friend, or even if with someone who's not a friend, it can't be a conversation of, or a conflict of me versus you, us versus them, them versus us, this combative way of seeing things, right? It should always be that the truth of the gospel is confronting the lies that the world is telling us about how we should live. Paul is reminding Peter of who he is in Christ, right? He's saying to his friend, we can't go back to that old way of living, right? We can't go back to being concerned with trying to make ourselves righteous by obeying the law, because the only thing that we should be concerned with is pleasing God. Why, why did Peter stop eating with the Gentiles who were not circumcised? It wasn't because he thought that's what the gospel was telling him to do. It wasn't that he theologically disagreed with Paul. It was because he was afraid of what other people were going to think of him. Right? He was afraid of judgment and condemnation from this other group of people who had come in. And when, when fear is what motivates us, when fear of what other people are thinking of us is what's motivating our actions, we can be absolutely sure that that is not from Jesus because his perfect love casts out all fear. When fear is driving us, we're going down the wrong road. And so Paul's trying to remind Peter who he was created to be, right? When God created human beings, what did he say? He said, I've made this and it is good. You are good. Not just good, very good. There, I, don't, I don't remember what translation it was, but there, it says even excellent in every way, right? God's not sitting up there waiting for us to make mistakes being sad about how bad we are all the time, right? God loves us. He created us in his image. We are such a joy to him. And we don't have to measure up to some standard for God to love us. His love is unconditional. We don't have to obey every aspect of the law for God to love us. He already loves us. He already loves you more than you could ever know. Um. 
in the message version, verse 20, this is what it says. It says, indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus, it's not you. It's Christ living in you. I used to um, struggle with the verse where Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I, I didn't understand. The yoke did not feel easy to me because I was, I was still trying to just follow all the rules. And that is a heavy burden to bear. But if you, yeah, if you live that way, right, the standards are impossible. You're, you're never going to be good enough. You know, Stu used the very uh, theological term, not enoughness, last week. You're, you're, there, you're, there's no room for all your not enoughness. And all that effort that you put in to be good, it's never going to be enough. And that is a huge burden. But Jesus says, come to me, right? If all of you who are so very tired of carrying the weight of your own self-righteousness, of carrying the weight of your own need to live up to these expectations, I already fought that battle for you. That battle is already won. Rest in me. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he met all those expectations for us. And all we have to do is accept that. And the Holy Spirit is what makes us holy, right? It's not our effort. It's not our works. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It is Christ in us that produces these fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. These are the things that when you are following the Spirit, they flow out of you naturally, right? It's as natural as an apple growing from an apple tree. And so when Paul is in disagreement with his friend, this is what he comes to him with. The, the peace and the joy of the gospel that we don't have to worry about what other people think of us, right? We don't have to try to live up to those impossible standards. We've already been made righteous through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, what does that mean for us in our world today? In a world that is filled with conflict and disagreement and differing opinions. Um, I want to look at um, a story about Jesus so that we can get a glimpse. Um, this is in John chapter 8. I didn't put it in the U version, but you can go there if you want to. John chapter 8. Um, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of a crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away 
one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus drew in the dust, right? He sat down and drew in the dirt. He didn't respond immediately to the demands and the anger of these accusers. He, he sat there and let them think about it for a minute. And then he didn't condemn them. He didn't stand up and say, well, hey, you, Joel over there, I know what you did. You know, I didn't, he didn't call out their iniquities. He said, okay, we can do that, but I want you to think. If you, if you have no sin, you go ahead and throw that first stone. And he, he let them decide for themselves. And I think when we're in disagreement with our friends or with strangers, we probably should be quiet a little bit more um, and sit and make room for the Holy Spirit to work. Because when we're so concerned with winning the argument, right? When we're sitting there going through the list of all the reasons why this person is wrong or their path is wrong, we're, we're feeding our own ego. We are putting ourselves in the front of that conversation. And, and then, it, then it's hard to let go of our dog in the fight, right? We want to win. We want to be right. We want them to see things our way. But if we step back from that and do what Paul said, my, my ego is gone. My ego is dead. I am living in Christ now. Christ is living in me. And we just sit in that space and invite the Holy Spirit to be present and to say, God, this is, this is your fight, right? If, this is, if there's something wrong in this situation, you can write it because God is making all things new. God is redeeming all of creation to himself. And so we must come alongside his work and be willing to be that peace and that presence and that truth in the world that we live in. We've got to let go of our need to be right or our fear of being wrong um, and bring peace to all the confrontation that's happening, to bring the good news of the gospel, to say that there's another way to live, and it doesn't have to be you versus me. It doesn't have to be us versus them. It can be all of us together living the, the way of the gospel. There's, there's this book. I feel like I quote David Fitch a lot. I was telling Dan. I quoted him the last time I talked about conflict, so apparently he's my go-to for the, the conflict things. Um, but he talks about this space beyond enemies. And that's kind of what I was talking about in the beginning, that it's not avoid the conflict or double down on the conflict, and it's not somewhere in the middle. It's something completely different. Um, it's a place beyond all of that, because that's where the gospel lives. The gospel isn't the middle ground of the world's way of doing things. The gospel is completely different. It's outside of all of that. And so... He, um, David Fitch is talking about, in his book, um, The Church of Us Versus Them, he's talking about this situation with the woman caught in adultery and Jesus' response to that. And he says, 
In the same way as Jesus, we too must refuse to enter the violence of the world's antagonisms on the terms offered by the antagonisms. We must be present, unanxious, taking in the insults, asking good questions, allowing the contradictions and perverse glee to be exposed. Only after all this has dissipated and Jesus can ask, woman, where are your accusers, is space cleared for Jesus to work. Simply by doing this, we peacefully disrupt the enemy, making the enemy-making machine and make space for the presence of Christ to become real so true healing and reconciliation can begin. Paul said, right, my ego is no longer centered. We need to just be in the presence of Jesus and be that presence of Jesus to our friends. We, uh, we need to humble ourselves and let go of that ego. I want to um, go ahead and invite the band back up on stage um, as we just think about how are we practically going to apply this to our lives, right? Because we are going to have disagreements with friends and we are going to have conflict. And maybe we're even already in the middle of a conflict today. And it doesn't really matter what that conflict is about, right? What matters is who are we in the midst of that conflict? How are we responding to this situation? Are we responding with our own pride, with our own ego, or are we responding with the truth of the gospel and the message that God loves you and has invited you into a better way of living? And um, this is not, these are not my words, I'm taking this from somebody else, but the next, the next time you face a moment of confrontation or a moment of conflict, I want to invite you to pray just a very short prayer that will just remind us of Paul's approach. And that prayer is, please God, help my humility outpace my intelligence. Help me to come to this conflict without my own ego and to just speak your truth. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that there is another way of living this life, the gospel way, where we don't need to measure up to expectations. We don't need to make ourselves righteous through our own effort. God, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you that all of that was finished on the cross, that you died in our place and we are made righteous through you. Pray that as we go out into our weeks and out into the world that we would bring the truth and the light of the gospel into every situation that we come into. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna go ahead and worship a little bit longer and then Sean will be up to wrap us up.